0: Insider Podcast for the week that is ending, if the week ends on Friday, which I guess for me it does, on May 8th. Hope everyone is hanging in there as we continue to do the things that we need to do to keep people safe. But uh, for now, well, here we are again, another week, another passing report on progress being made on the possible return of baseball. According to various reports, we are inching towards something concrete as it looks like a plan for return to play will be presented to the Players' Union next week. If you've uh, heard these reports, you've heard uh, talk about June spring training, early July start date. All of this is providing they get all of the clearance that they need to get. But for now, it appears something is very close to being put on the table. Still a long way to go. Big steps that have to be achieved. Big hurdles that have to be hurdled. It's just such an uncertain state where anything can happen at any time. But to have an actual plan being handed to the Players Association for review, for discussion, for eventual negotiation. If that happens, that would indeed be the biggest development we have seen to date as far as a return goes. So we will continue to keep an eye on that. Now, that news all came down on Wednesday night. On Thursday morning, first thing, Danny and Gallant on our flagship station, 710 ESPN Seattle, they got Jerry DePoto's reaction to the latest.
1: I know we feel the the momentum building and and we're reading a lot of the same things that the, that the fan base says and that you are, it's a, it's a lot of discussions are happening at high levels right now. I don't think anything is, is naturally imminent, but you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And there are a lot of these discussions that are happening and, and it's encouraging that, you know, for us, for our players, that we have the, the potential at least of getting back on the field at some point, in a not too distant future, I know we all we would all love to do it, and, and in some cases, you know, physically, psychologically, emotionally, it's good for everybody for for players and fans.
2: And from the sound of things, the the idea of everything taking place in home markets, as opposed to in this biodome proposal that we heard like a month ago in Arizona, does feel more and more likely has that allowed you guys to potentially make obviously plans that could change at any moment, but actually have a pretty solid idea of what could happen next organizationally for you?
1: Yeah. You know, as, as probably won't surprise you, we've, we've laid out pretty elaborate plans on parallel paths for any of those possible outcomes, just so that we're ready. Uh, You know, we don't want to receive the call. Hey, it's time to go. And we hadn't given any thought to how that's going to set up. So, you know we have whether it's a, a spring training in Arizona, a spring training reboot in Seattle or anything uh, else that might pop up whether it's playing home games throughout the year here in our ballpark or or doing it in spring training parks we we've kind of covered all that in in planning sessions and and now we're just waiting to see which one of those plans we need to draw and and see how it rolls
0: DePoto can be heard every Thursday at 8.30 a.m. on Danny and Gallant on 710. We're going to hear a little bit more from Jerry later in the podcast, but coming up over the next hour and a half, three conversations I had this week. We catch up with longtime Texas beat writer Evan Grant to hear a little bit about the Rangers' outlook for 2020 if they play. They've made some big additions, but I've been really intrigued for some time by exactly what their development plan has been. You take a look at them, and uh, sometimes they spend money, sometimes they develop. They've been in kind of an odd spot for a few years now, moving into a new ballpark. You assume that they're getting ready to spend a lot. There's always a lot of revenue that uh, comes along with that. Of course, that plan goes out the window in the light of the coronavirus. That revenue is not going to be there in their first year. How is that going to impact things? And in looking at what they did this off season, and looking at future contracts for them, They seem to really be built for the short term, which is not a good thing with what is going on right now. So we'll talk a little bit about the short term and the long term outlook uh, with Evan Grant for the Rangers. We'll also talk a little bit about the ballpark, get into that. And uh, we learned that players literally have been getting into the new uh, Globe Life Park in Arlington. Grant tells us that they have been working out in small groups at the park. So that's a distinct advantage. Uh, We heard also in the Passon report that there are teams that do have small groups working out at their spring training facilities. I have learned that the Mariners are not one of those teams. They have not opened up the facility in Arizona. But uh, you'll hear a little bit later in this podcast that a group of players has been working out close to the facility. We'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, those are all things we'll talk about on the baseball side with Evan Grant. We will also talk about, and I was really interested to talk to him about this because uh, I saw some of his posts all of a sudden were no longer about baseball, but Evan is a big food guy, he's a great barbecue guy, and he is also a longtime reporter, a very good reporter. And you're seeing uh, various reporters start to write more newsy things. And the Dallas Morning News sent him out on the first day that restaurants reopened in Texas. And uh, he was one of the reporters that went out and experienced a couple of different restaurants. So I wanted to get a little bit of what the picture is in Texas right now, what it looks like there, And also, what was that experience like going into a restaurant? Would he do it again? What were his concerns? What did he see? Uh, I figured people would be interested in that as well. So we will get into that too. A little bit later in the podcast, we're going to talk some KBO. Those games are now being broadcast on ESPN. I bring in a longtime friend and Korean baseball enthusiast who's going to fill us in on what to watch for or how to watch those games. Up first, however, my conversation with Justin Dunn, and this is a fun one. Some of the fun you're not going to get to see or hear until next week. I'll fill you in on that. Dunn, as you might know, is a sneakerhead. You might remember a video that the Mariners did. uh, I want to say it was probably around January where they had Justin Dunn, Kyle Lewis, and Evan Grant at a shoe store, and they were buying Evan Grant some uh, Nikes or some Air Jordans, and uh justin is uh, as far as i know i think he's got the biggest collection on the mariners team and that's saying something he revealed he had over 200 pairs of jordans and when baseball shut down and all of a sudden we started having a little bit more access than we usually have it was in my mind right away we need to get into justin dunn's closet we got to see some of these shoes And it also occurred to me that at 710 ESPN, we have got a a resident sneakerhead of our own, Taylor Jacobs, who has been handling the video and the audio for these uh, podcasts, uh, also has a very, very impressive collection uh, of shoes, too. So I get them together on a Skype video, and that I believe I'm going to put out on Monday for some serious shoe talk. It's great. We also enlist... Justin Dunn's little brother, Ryan, because Dunn is not at home right now in New York. He's in Arizona. So Ryan goes into Dustin, Justin's closet at home and assists as well. So just just a lot of fun and access that I don't think you normally would have. And I'm so thankful that the guys are so willing to do these things. But I think a lot of fun was had by all in that conversation. Uh, in this podcast, you're going to hear a little bit more baseball talk, but you're also going to hear about some unique living arrangements right now. And uh, this I don't know. I put a big smile on my face. I'm just going to say that we, we spent all last year talking about and hearing about how close that double A team is. You're going to hear a little bit more of that in this chat with Justin Dunn. You're going to get a good picture of what some of the Mariners are able to do right now. Um, and also uh, just a, a little bit more about um, you know, how Justin is dealing with the shutdown, what he is doing to better himself through this and some of that has to do with what I think a lot of us are all watching on Sunday nights on ESPN uh, as far as the Jordan documentary goes. So fun conversation with Justin Dunn. That gets us going right now. All right, Justin. That was a a ton of fun on the shoes. And uh, how many do you have with you right now?
3: With me right now? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen. I just got I, I a pair about 10 minutes before I hopped on this call.
0: All right. All right. So you're okay for now. You're, you're, you're reasonably stocked up on the shoes and that, okay. Let's, let's just kind of take it a little bit back to, uh, we talked to you right before everybody kind of took off and, and now we're a couple of months in. How have you been able to kind of hold up on the baseball side of things?
3: It's been tough, but um, it's been kind of a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's taken things back to bare bones and, um, in a way, get into an experience and off-season with, with friends. I've never really had a chance to do before, you know, uh, go to throw at the cages or, or wherever we're throwing at for that day and have Evan White there, have Jake Fraley there, uh, Marmaladeo, Johan Ramirez, Fleming's around. So um, it's, it's always a breath of fresh air when you get to see those guys and see a familiar face, but it is tough to have been ramped up and then have to kind of downscale a little bit. But we have, a, we have a good little setup at our house. Um, we have a gym in the garage, a net in the backyard. Um, so I've been flipping to Jake on days they can't get into a batting cage or something. And uh, we throw in the street, we run in the street. Um, it's really been bare bones, but we've been trying to make the best of it.
0: Now, I think I heard you were with the Fraley's. Is Evan White there too, or is that is he just nearby?
3: No, Evan White has his own house out here. He just bought a house before he got uh, married out here. Okay. So um, he has his own place, but I'm renting with Jake and the Fraley's. Yes, the entire <laughs> family is here, and uh, we have been having a great time. So it's, it's been a lot of fun.
0: So you're learning a lot about little ones then.
3: <laughs> yes, I'm learning they have a lot of energy and they love to play. It's a good time.
0: You said that you were able to get out to some cages. Where is that at the complex or is that just in the area?
3: No, ma'am. We've uh, kind of... Um, had a little relationship. I don't even know how we got uh, tuned in with them, but um, DBAT has a place down in Avondale that they've kind of been opening the doors to some of the pro guys who are still here, um, trying to do it very safely with, uh, you got an hour, uh, maybe one day a week, two days a week, and they do um, different different ways. So all the Mariners guys will get in at the same time and then get out and um, they give them time to kind of clean the facility down. Um, and then get the next wave in and and everything like that. So um, we've been doing that two or three times a week, um, trying to limit the exposure as much as possible. But uh, we've been seeing each other basically every day anyway. So,
0: um,
3: but we've been having a pretty good time and and having a lot of fun.
0: All right. You mentioned when the season, when we, when spring training broke up, you were interested to see in how much stronger you could get, how you could maintain. You immediately looked at what, advantage can I get out of this break? What have you seen in that time?
3: Um, I'm learning a lot. I mean, more than anything, just just strengthening the mind um, from talking to Andy McKay to talking to Woody to Carson and um, doing a lot of reading. I mean, we've been having picture Zoom calls talking about the mindset of Michael Jordan and the last dance and the culture that they've created and, and using that time to kind of work on my per- own personal growth, both mentally and physically, and and um, on the physical side, been kind of tinkering on some little minute, very small things that I can really pay attention to detail on that aren't going to be very stressful. Um, and I didn't really have the time to work on in camp with Woody. So it's been great. Been sending a lot of video back and forth, a lot of uh, one-on-one time and, and calls with Woody. But uh, we're, we're definitely starting to head in the right direction.
0: We were just getting to know Woody this spring. Tell us what we can expect with seeing him for a full year working with all of you and and just, uh, you've got a good amount of experience. What does he bring?
3: Woody brings something that um, I think is very important in in a coach and and that's his care level for every single one of his players, whether it's Marco or uh, Matt McGill in the bullpen or JP at shortstop. He cares genuinely about um, each one of his players individually Um, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get that person better to help the team win. And also for them to have the best career possible. So just from Woody taking time away to talk to me instead of his new spending time with his newborn baby, um, and making time to make that happen and and doing the pitcher zoom calls and giving me drills to do. And I know he's giving other guys drills to do as well. And, um, he's definitely a young and energetic coach and, and, uh, He's a lot of fun to be around, almost a spark plug at times. He sometimes has more energy than we do, which can be annoying, but he brings <laughs> up the fun.
0: I think I saw you guys were ready to throw him in a fountain in Texas when we were once there. It might have been his birthday and <laughs> he was running yeah, around. And...
3: Woody, Woody, I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it, but Woody always has a handshake with everybody and comes into the locker room and the dugout screaming from game one to game 140 last year. So it doesn't stop. Oh, That
0: is great energy. Hey, you mentioned, okay, so you're with the Fraley's right now. When I talked to Jake in the spring, he was on a pretty extreme diet. It sounded like he was almost like going vegetarian. Is he doing that still?
3: To the best of our ability. Um, it's a little tougher with not being able to go grocery shopping all the time. Uh, but we have been uh, trying to eat as well as possible. It's tough because his wife makes unbelievable cookies <laughs> so uh, whenever those cookies come out, we, they don't really last too long. We kind of crush them, but uh, we've been doing our best to eat healthy and, and his diet uh, has been holding up pretty well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's what he said. He said the cookie was the one treat, the one cheat that he had. So that's still going strong now for all of you.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been looped into that, to that, uh to that kind of guilty pleasure right there. So um, cookies are now my thing as well. <laughs>
0: In the shoe portion with Taylor, we were talking about the Jordan documentary. And, and for me, it was interesting to watch. I was actually at some of those games and I lived through some of that time. What was it like for you to watch as somebody that I know that, you know, you studied it. I'm sure you watched it. You're aware of everything that Michael Jordan did. What have you learned about him and that time in watching that documentary?
3: Um, see, my parents had always told me nobody's like Mike Mike's the only one that could get the ball in the fourth quarter. And everybody knows the ball is going to Mike and he's still going to hit the shot. And in a way I always thought they were joking. Um, But when the documentary came out and you kind of, like I was saying earlier, you can see him flip the switch and say, I'm going to take the game over. And that's something that I've really appreciated just the athlete in me of being able to say big game. It's time to turn it on. I need to go seven tonight to get the ball to, to CJ, to get the ball to goose and we're going to go home and be one-up in the playoffs. Um, And to see that ability and to see the way he got everybody to kind of pull together towards a common goal was really cool to see. And you take a guy, and I I was talking to Woody about it the other day, a a guy like Dennis Rodman, who's such an out-there personality. um, You have to let Dennis be Dennis. You can't put reins on him and say, this is who you have to be, walk the straight line or else you're gone. He understood that he needed to leave for a little bit and de-stress and get back to where he needed to be and understand where basketball was on his priority list in order for him to get the best out of Dennis Rodman and in order for them to get to where they wanted to be at the end of the year. Um, and I just thought that was really cool to see that aspect of it. And you always think about when you hear superstars that they're very um, driven and driven and, and sometimes not fun to play with. But I appreciated seeing that, just the teammate that understood – each person is different, and you have to let them be their own person in order to get the best out of them at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, it seemed like he was well ahead, and and Phil was in that whole organization and how they work well ahead of their time in, in letting guys be
3: themselves.
0: 100%. What about the competition? Well, Your reaction when you saw what the Pistons did and not shaking hands?
3: Um, I would be upset. I would have been upset we would have shared some words um uh, I love the fire in the series I love playing hard um it, the competitor of me loves that um I try to bring that that same fire every time I touch the mound but uh, at the end of the day there's always something to be uh, to sportsmanship and and um, the respect for the other person you're playing against um, and not to say I mean the time is different according to them and, and I don't really know the whole backstory behind what was going on but for me, I would have loved to see the, hey, great series at the end. You guys finally took dethroned us. Obviously, it stings, uh, but that's just part of it.
0: Hey, you mentioned uh, the Zoom calls earlier. Tell us what one of those looks like. How long are they? How many people? What do you guys go over? What If I were to drop in on a picture Zoom talk, what would I see? It,
3: it ranges. It's about an hour to hour and 15, um, and Woody calls it the happy hour. Um Usually he's the only one with a drink or a cigar. Delunis had a nice cigar the other day with a great view of West Seattle in the background. So um, that was a refreshing uh, view for us to see. And uh, we're usually on there just talking about the last dance and how it applies to us and how we can flip that into us as a starting unit and a bullpen unit and then as a staff as a whole and get everyone to pulling towards the same goal and, and get us to where we need to be as an organization. But it's a lot of fun, um, a lot of different insights. Um, I, I try to do more listening than anything and, and try to pick the brains of Marco and Kendall and, and Ty um, and really learn from those guys who have been around a little bit. But um, it, it's a lot of good, good conversation and it's an open forum.
0: What's something you're going to take from this time, this very strange time, when we've all been you know, forced to be at home quite a bit more?
3: I think, like I said, the, the personal growth of it all, just to continue, uh, self growth and understanding that there is always room to improve and, and get better. Um, and when you can find that within yourself, you can help others bring that out within them at the same time. Um, and that's one thing that I'm learning from Kobe and his book was he said through learning himself, he was able to learn to read kind of other people and other teammates and figured out how to get the best out of them. Um, not saying I'm in a position to go up to Marco and say, hey, this is what you need to do, but eventually at some point in my career I would love to be there and be able to look at someone in my shoes now and say, hey, this is this is where you need to be and, and this is how you need to work to get the best out of who you are as a player. So continued self-growth and understanding um, not only yourself but others around you.
0: All right. Well, we're all going to take different things away from this. And I, I appreciate how you were trying to get the most out of this. And as I noted from day one, which was great to see, I'm sure people around you appreciate that. Um, before we go, is there something that you have picked up in this time? Is there a new skill? Have you learned how to cook something? Are you watching something different? Uh, a musical instrument?
3: <laughs> no, no musical instruments. Um, I've been playing a lot of golf, which I'm still terrible at just compete at something. Um, But I've learned I make a pretty mean breakfast burrito. So I'm pretty proud of myself for that.
0: Okay. We will let you get away with that as being your new talent. Breakfast burrito supreme. (laughs)
3: Yeah. I'll make it for you one day.
0: All right. I hope that is soon. Justin, thank you so much. Thanks for letting us into your closet and letting you know, or introducing us to your little brother. Hopefully we will have baseball on the not too far distant horizon.
3: Yes, ma'am. Thank you.
0: So Justin Dunn living with the Frailies, and there I believe they have three little ones right now. It was actually pretty fun because uh, Justin was doing the video and it looked like a study or a den in the house that they're renting. And at the end of the video, I said, "Hey, make sure you say hi to Jake and say hi to Evan for me." It's like, "Oh, I'll go get Jake right now." And I'm like, "Whoa!" And he goes and he actually brings Jake into the room, and Jake's got one of the little ones with him. So it was good to see. But um, what a neat. Family atmosphere to have through all of this and uh, encouraging to hear, you know, how upbeat Justin is right now. Heard the same from Jake and, uh, you know, concern for the folks uh, everywhere right now, but doing the best that they can. Again, that shoe video is going to be coming up on Monday. Up next, Dallas Morning News, Texas Rangers beat writer Evan Grant. We're going to get into the baseball in a couple of minutes, but first I wanted to know what Texas looks like right now. And Evan shared some unique experiences
2: you know, in Texas, the state's been fairly aggressive about opening. Restaurants opened last week to 25% capacity, those that that chose to open back up. Um, hair salons are to open tomorrow, and I believe things like gyms are to open on May 18th. Listen, I I think as it is throughout the country, I think it things kind of fall into three groups of people. There are people who want to venture out and are willing to go ahead and, and do it. Um, how safely, I don't know. I mean, there's a group that will will try and do that very safely, safely and I think there's a group that, that will act cavalierly as we've seen all across the country. The second group I think is gonna wait a couple of weeks after any state opens up to kind of see whether there is a big uptick in cases uh, or, or what the reaction might be in their in their location. And then I think the third group is going to be the group, and that's it's going to be the group that impacts baseball and all kind of social activities the most. Is going to be the group that is going to be really, really hesitant for a long period of time about doing anything in in public. And I don't know what the answers are, and I don't obviously none of us know what the future holds. I, I think Shannon, basically, what it gets to is we're all kind of stumbling through this. I think that we've seen. Um Lots of projections change and lots of um, protocols change and evolve over time. And I think that's that's going to co- continue for for some period of time. but I, I, I think if people are okay with social distancing and okay with wearing a mask in public, at some point in time, they're going to have to venture out. And whether that was the right thing to do on May 1, or whether it's the right thing to do on May 15th, or whether it's June 1, at some point in time, people are going to have to take that step.
0: You wrote about, and it's really interesting, because obviously you are a fine baseball writer, and that's where your expertise is. You also know your cuisine, and you ventured out to the restaurants as a food writer and as more of an experience writer, I would guess, at that point this week. (laughs) Um, how did, was that tough for you? I mean, how did you prepare yourself for that?
2: I, you know, I ended up, so last Friday, I, um, I was trying to be part of an assignment for the paper to just kind of see, uh, what it was like on the first day of, of things opening back up. And, uh, the first couple of places that I drove to, there really wasn't much activity at all. Um, and then I, I happened, up happened upon a place that, uh, um, a burger place that I frequented a lot, uh, particularly earlier on in my time in Dallas, and it has a big patio. And there were a lot of people, relatively speaking, a lot of people. There was a there was a blank table between every every table. Servers were wearing masks. Some people, while they were waiting for their food, were wearing masks. But relatively speaking, it was busy. And and I said, listen, I I think the only way to myself that I'm going to understand this experience is to go in and. And, and see. Um, and so I, I went into the restaurant and listen, the restaurant that I went into in that particular instance, everything was handled really well by the staff. They obviously had been very well versed in protocol. Everybody wore masks. Everybody wore gloves. Um, the doors were open for me so that it was contactless entry. The tables were bare when you sat down so that nothing sat there Uh, in between service. There were empty tables on either side of me. Uh, There was hand sanitization station at, um, at the entry uh, and exit for the restaurant. Um, The menus were disposable. There were no condiments. Uh, All condiments were given to you individually. So all of the steps taken were, you know, very, they were very diligent in that. But what I found myself doing was looking at all the other patrons and wondering, like, how are their reactions going to be to certain things? And clearly there was one couple that walked out and they used the hand sanitization thing before they walked out the door. And when they did walk out the door, even though there wasn't at that point in time an entry person there, they kicked, well, basically, you know, nudge the door open with their foot. And I've heard of many restaurants using foot pedals for, for door openers at this point in time. Um, there was another couple that when they walked out, uh, they didn't do anything and they just pushed the door open with their bare hands. And there was one couple that, you know, was sitting in a booth and, uh, they were, their hands were on top of the table, um, or their hands may have touched the side of the booth and you just find yourself being very much more aware of everything. And I think the sentence that I wrote to me was, it wasn't the service that made me uncomfortable. It was everybody else in there. And 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 I think that my what I came away from this whole episode with was, I really feel like if you're on the fence about whether or not you're going to dine out here in Texas at this point in time, there's not anything more that the restaurants can do uh, to make you feel safe. Either you do or you don't. And um, I came away from it and felt like, in all likelihood, I'd probably wait another ten days or two weeks before I go out, just because I want to see what the caseload becomes here.
0: Right, right. Uh, with all of that in mind, was baseball on the back of your mind, and what they're trying to do?
2: Yeah, you know, I, um, I think uh, what baseball is aiming to do right now, with the idea that hopefully teams would get to spring training uh, in in um, early to mid June and try and start around July 4th is, is certainly based on where we are in terms of um, what governments are doing around the the country. I think that's all a, a, um, a realistic target. I think there's a whole bunch of moving pieces involved in all of this. And I think that one wrong step could, could set us all back, but ultimately I think the idea that teams would play in their home parks, um, and that players would be able to live in their in their homes, uh, not have to be isolated, and that they'd be with their uh, with their families. I think that when you're talking about the level of comfort for the players, uh, I think that's all very important. I think they're more comfortable with that um, and getting on charters to fly from, say, DFW to Seattle, than with the idea of being isolated in a hotel uh, for four months away from their family. Mm-hmm.
0: Or are you
2: keeping in contact with baseball right now? Um, I'm, you know, I'm following the story that's going on, that's going as it, as it progresses. I'm checking in with some ranger folks as it come as opportunities present themselves. And I'm trying to um, look for the unique story just to, give people... I'm looking at my role right now, Shannon, and on on baseball as more of a... Listen, I think you know me well enough to know that I, I kind of view myself as a court jester all the time anyway. I don't take myself very seriously. Um And I think that at this point, from a sports fan state of mind, whatever is in the sports pages, I think people want some degree of a diversion from um, from every day. So I'm looking for Good, compelling people, uh, human interest stories, and I'm looking for fun stuff. We did something last week or two weeks ago where we did a, uh, I did an ultimate Rangers fan trivia quiz uh, online um, that was interactive, and I think people had a lot of fun with that. Uh, we did a look at the, um, not the not the individuals who wore the best jerseys in tech in in Dallas sports, worth Dallas Fort Worth sports history but we did the overall best jerseys across sports. So we took all of the number 22s and weighed them versus all of the number 32s and so forth and so on. Um, I just got off the phone earlier today with uh, Shinsu Chu, and I'm going to write a fa- uh, a fan's guide to um, to why the Ranger fans should should pick the Lotte Giants as their Favorite Korean team, while well, that's the only baseball that they can watch for a while, we're just trying to trying to have a little bit of fun and and um, break some of the monotony for fans.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, we have been forced to be creative, but I think a lot of us have that. And we've also noticed that a lot of the players are doing the same thing out on social media. And when you do contact them, they're up for a lot more. I think they're a little bored, quite frankly, than they normally would be up for.
2: Yeah. You know, I was, we've done two things, um, on zoom that, uh, I thought were, were a lot of fun was, um, uh, very early on in this whole process, uh, right around what was supposed to have been opening day, we did a uh, a mini Zoom reunion with the ten the 2010 Rangers. Um, certainly wasn't as involved as the Braves did with their whole 1995 team, but we got five of the key contributors from the from the 2010 Rangers, uh, and they all had a good time. And, and um, you know, I got a text from Ian Kinsler afterwards saying it was really fun and. On the on the screen, he popped up, and the first thing he said was, "God, I've missed you guys." And and they all just kind of had fun and told stories, and and we did the same thing with a with a group of 1996 Rangers, um, well 1990s Rangers. The three three guys who played on all three playoff teams from the 90s: uh, Pudge Rodriguez, uh, Rusty Greer, and and Mark McLemore. And, and as you well know, you know Mark Mark's got a great personality, and the other two guys do too. And and they again told some great stories, particularly about what it was like to play for Johnny Oates. And um uh they had fun with it. And the same thing. I got a text from Mark afterwards saying thanks. That was that was fun. And so yeah, I do think guys are are up for it and I do think that they wanna connect with fans. Joey Gallo was the Rangers representative in the MLB the show uh tournament that that the league ran. And he was very interactive with fans um, on his Twitch stream during during the games. And, and he thought that was important.
0: Yeah, it's it's great to see that and the involvement. You mentioned Shinsu Chu a minute ago, and there's so many. The list is long of the Mariners who got away. And he's not one that's often mentioned. But, man, he's done so much since. And he obviously has meant so much to the Texas Rangers and the community there.
2: Yeah, Chu is um, – uh, it, it's uh it's hard for me to put into words exactly uh um how I feel about him, but the word that comes to mind most often is earnest. uh I don't know that I've come across a player who's who's just so earnest in what he feels, and you know the great example this year for me was that uh even before uh anything before anything was done on the MLB front for minor leaguers, uh, Chu went to the Rangers and said, look, I want to donate a thousand dollars to every minor leaguer in the organization, which was, you know, the tune of about 200 grand. Um, And he did that. And later came to find out that Chu had been catering dinners for all the minor leaguers in spring training for basically the entire time that he'd been here. And he just cares. He remembers, where he was in the Mariner system, when he came over from Korea uh, and what guys did for him. And he has always been really, really candid uh, and and forthright in wanting to pay it forward. And, and he's doing that. And it's really, uh, it's really heartwarming to see the, uh, the DFW chapter of the baseball writers last year gave him uh, um, their good guy award for, for the way he dealt with the media and, and and, in the way he, he kind of carries himself as a professional. And he, he just really um, he's, he's really comfortable in who he is. He's really um, uh, he's really a caring human being. And it's uh, it's been a pleasure to watch him over seven years. You know, I know he got a lot of criticism when he signed here uh, and the contract was, was sliced and diced, but, Look, the guy's going into his year thirty-eight season, and through the course of his time with the Rangers, he's put up a 375 OBP, um, and an and eight hundred uh, plus somewhere OPS. Uh, he made his first All-Star game two years ago. He's been a very productive player over the course of his career, and you look at him now, and he's as, as good a shape as he's ever been. Uh, so, it, it, a lot of a lot of credit to Chu for what he's done.
0: Yeah, that's been uh, very enjoyable to watch what he has turned into, and just kudos to that happening in the Rangers organization. Hey, Red, I think it was this week or perhaps last week, looked like some guys got into the new ballpark and hit a little bit.
2: Yeah, they are starting to get into the ballpark. They've been going in there uh, a couple of weeks, um, basically in groups of two or three. The pitchers and the hitters hadn't been going in there at the same point in time. I think that the Rangers are going to continue to kind of monitor how big a group they want to let in there at any one point in time. But, yes, they they did get in there, and, and last week they started, the as the little groups got in there, they started to hit on the field. And as you would expect for any slugger, um, Joey Gallo immediately let everybody know that he felt like uh, the center field fence, which is, 407 the straightaway center and 410 the deepest part of the park um was a little bit too deep but the rangers have had that case before juan gonzalez in 94 um kind of said the same things wanted them to move the fence in and left field and it worked out okay for juan he won two mvps with this uh this park as his with globe life park as his home park so i think the way john daniels looked at it as he told me he listened he understood where joey's coming from uh but uh They'll let things play out a little bit more once you get fans in there and once you get the roof um, open uh, and and, and, uh, all of the other elements that can be involved. And I don't think he's too worried about Joey hitting home runs. And Joey doesn't hit home runs to center field. He pulls everything to right, and he's got a shorter power alley to right field. And if he decides he wants to go the opposite way, he's got a much shorter power alley in left center.
0: Our alert was a little bit up because when the Mariners moved into Safeco Field back in 99, the guys went over and it was even further before. I mean, the place was still under construction. They didn't even have the grass down yet. And that got into their heads. You know, that definitely got into Junior's head think uh, Jay Buhner. And this isn't a situation like that. This is one player, right? Or is it?
2: <laughs> this is one player for now. I don't know if the other guys feel the same way. Um, but uh, Joey uh, Joey certainly made his, his feelings known. Um, and again, I think when he gets in there, uh, he will see that to right center. I, I think John also let me know when we, when we talked later that night that um, uh, he was there in his office because it was the first day that the Rangers offices had opened up. And uh, Joey also hit a ball off the second deck of the right field facing. So, um, you know, he... He's got a little bit of power. I will also say this. Joey's hit in Arlington. Joey had hit 18 home runs uh, of his 65 in in the ballpark to what would be labeled as straightaway center. And the average distance on those home runs was 434 feet. So I think he's got some room to work with here.
0: Yeah, I'm not too worried about Joey Gallo. Hey, heading into the offseason, and even at the end of last season, I think we got we talked to you guys a little bit about it, but I was very curious as to what the Rangers' plan, development plan was, what their plan is to get to contention. What did you find out about that in the offseason? Well, I think
2: their, their mode of operation going into this season was that they planned to contend, and they planned to contend behind what they thought was a very solid one through five in in the pitching rotation, and that with a fairer ballpark and a veteran pitching staff that would give them innings, uh, they felt like they were going to be in a good position. Uh, And listen, if Elvis Anderson, Rudnett Odor bounced back at all from the years that they've had the last two years, uh, there was was significant internal growth that they could make uh, in the lineup. Um, If we end up with an 80-game season, uh, I don't know how much of an advantage the, the the innings that the starting rotation could pile up would be for the Rangers, um, but I think it would be a team that would be able to finish really strong. I could I could say that, um, and I, I I think that um, you know if you go back and look at this team last year at the All Star well not at the All Star break but at the statistical midpoint of the season. This was a team that was leading the wild card race at that point. So, I, I think that they feel like they were, um, that they're still in the um, the growth the growth stage. But I feel like they they have come out of the rebuild and feel like they should be able to contend for a playoff spot. Is that a little bit of wishful thinking? Um, listen, if the, if the A's and the Astros play the same way that they did last year, it's going to be really, really tough. But I think what we could see in an 80 game season is things could be much more wide open. Um, And if we see an expanded playoff field, uh, it's going to be a really interesting exercise to watch how managers manage the entire season. Um, And Uh, That it's literally all it takes is any team that can get hot for for a month can can really make a difference.
0: What about in the long term picture, Kluber? I believe there's an option minor. What is two years away from free agency? What what do the Rangers build around?
2: Yeah, I mean their 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 feeling right now going into the season was that they had Kluber for two years. He had he had 2020 and an option for 21. That I think, for all intents and purposes, providing he was um, what they expected he would be, they would pick up. They have Lance Lynn signed through 21. Um, Mike Miner is a free agent at the end of this year. Again, my thought going into the year was they would let things play out. And if Miner was interested in a short term extension, something along the lines of two years, they might pursue that. Um, but with with the change in how the season will play out, I don't know how it's going to impact um, how they approach minor. And I, I think we're gonna we're in uncharted territory in terms of of what's going to happen with young pitchers because it's very possible there will be no minor league season whatsoever this year. And you know the Rangers feel like they've got some good young pitching that is starting to bubble up in the minor league system, but if if the guys at the lower levels don't pitch at all, how is a year of no development whatsoever going to impact those guys in the long term? Um, I, I think there's, I think every team is really having to to look at the future in a lot different way and consider a number of scenarios. Uh, And and among those, Shannon, is. and I saw today that Buster only tweeted that he's been told that at least one major league uh, front office has been told by their ownership to cut payroll for 2021. And my point there is, you know, I I don't know that we know how the economy and the loss of games this year and the the potential loss of fans, I don't know how that's going to impact different ownership groups and what they're going to how they're going to have to operate. So um, there are an awful lot of wild cards to be determined um, in, in what a team's long-term future is.
0: Yeah, it's hard to believe that huge bucks would be thrown around in the offseason right now with all of the uncertainty and what they will lose this year, games or no games. Let's take it to the food for just a second. Have you had time to – I saw you were exploring – I don't know if it was vegan food or vegetarian, but you've kind of branched out a little bit. It was shocking.
2: Well, I, um, yeah, I, you know, I like my meat. Um, uh, (laughs) my stepdaughter has decided, um, in, uh, in isolation and quarantine that she was going to become a vegetarian. Um, well, mostly vegetarian, she's willing to eat some fish. And so when I go to the store, I pick up two or three days worth of fresh fish to cook and, and the rest of the week, um, maybe she'll have a veggie burger, but I try and make two like full-on vegetarian meals uh, for her each week. One usually consists of a pasta, um, and the other is something that we all try and agree on. And and uh, last week, uh, she and her mother made, um, uh, made uh, some uh, black bean and sweet potato uh, enchiladas that were ridiculously good, um, probably the best vegetarian meal I've ever had. The week before, Uh, we did these, uh, I did these stuffed red bell peppers with, um, with farro and, uh, feta cheese and some, some spinach. And, uh, I did not think I'd be a big fan of that, but, but I enjoyed it. And yeah, if I can eat a little bit healthier, why not? So we're, we're trying, but I, 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 today I went and, and went to a curbside place and picked up some fish tacos. So I, I, sometimes I can't help myself
0: all about balance evan <laughs> uh you know lastly through all of this um is there a discovery that you have made that you will to other than the vegetarianism and eating the red peppers and healthy things like that that you'll take with you forward when we come out of this
2: um i'll try but i give up very easily <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's just the truth like you know we get to Seattle, and um, Seattle's not a great example because I actually do eat okay there because of all the salmon and, and crab that I eat there. But if we go to Kansas City, I mean, you know, I'm going to eat three days of barbecue. If we go to, to Houston, I'm going to eat Tex-Mex probably again. If we if we go to um, New York City, I mean, I'm going to try and get as much Italian and Chinese food as I can. I, I don't have willpower. I pretty much work through my life without willpower. It's it's a terrible thing, but at least I realize what my weaknesses are.
0: <laughs> and embrace them. <laughs>
2: Evan, exactly. thank
0: you so much for, for taking the time with us today. <laughs>
2: my pleasure, Shannon. Take care.
0: Heaven Grant, a favorite on the pregame roundtable. We hope to see him at a ballpark sometime this summer. So have you been watching any of the KBO games on ESPN? I have. I actually was watching before they were put on ESPN. Uh, The KBO, when they resumed to their spring training, they did it all in their home ballparks, and uh, they didn't play other teams. They had a lot of intra-squad scrimmages to get ready, and a lot of those intra-squad scrimmages were broadcast on YouTube. So I was watching the Lotte Giants, which is Dejo Lee's team, and saw quite a bit of Dejo in those games, uh, just to get just a nice heavy dose of baseball. Now they're playing real games. ESPN has the rights to them, and uh, you'll have to look up the schedule. They're kind of all over the map, many of them very, very early in the morning. But uh, an interesting watch. Danny and Gallant from our flagship station, uh, they, of course, talked to Jerry Depoto about the news that we had this week uh, as far as baseball goes and a possible return. But they also had a little bit of an opportunity to talk to Jerry about one of the more fun features of Korean baseball.
4: Jerry, I found myself watching a little bit of Korean baseball, which has been on. They, they've returned to play. We we have Korean baseball. There are no fans there. We have some 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 stand-ins that are. It's interesting to see the differences in the game. Um, and there's there's a lot of enthusiasm. Specifically, the bat flip is celebrated in Korea, where that could start a fight in America. It it
1: truly does. And I I actually think that this is becoming, you know, if there is one of the the unwritten baseball rules that has really, really been more relaxed in recent years, it's the bat flip. And, you know, there's nothing in the, in the rule book that says you can't flip a bat. There's the, the, but the code of conduct, the unwritten code of conduct among players is you don't show them up and, and this is in the 60s, 70s, 80s. It was it was uh, taboo and, and enforced by the, the, the pitcher who would throw high and tight. In today's time, most of them get a kick out of it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's, there's – I mean, we saw it in big way last year with, with Tim Beckham and, and uh, you know, dating back to our, our opening series in Japan. But the, there's – I guess there's there's elaborate and then there's what happens in the KBO. And and on a nightly basis, if you if you want to be entertained during the shut in, just just Google uh, Korean baseball bat flips. And there are I mean, you know, it'll pop up. You'll get 20 or 30 of the most insane bat flips. I mean, in some cases where the bat you feel like the bat's going to wind up in the outfield. It's uh, it is it is part of their culture. They do it naturally. And. Uh, we saw it in, in some smaller way back in 2016 with de ho Lee. You know, Day-Ho hit a big homer in, in spring training. By big, I mean long. And the bat flip was as epic as the homer. And, and you thought, wow, this is that's pretty amazing. And, and you know, he did it again at least at one point during the regular season. And I think the veteran players who were a little bit more stoic were quick to talk to Day-Ho. My general thought is let the personality play. It's, it's, it, it, it makes the game a little bit more fun to watch. It, makes the, the, it, it gets the fans a little bit more excited. And if at the end of the day what you do is put your, your opponents on edge, then, then that's probably not a bad thing for the competitive spirit in the game.
0: For a little bit more on what to expect from Korean baseball, I caught up with longtime fan and friend David Kim. Well, this is kind of fun with everything that's been uh, going on with baseball and the exciting news that ESPN picked up the KBO and and we can watch actual baseball games right now. There was one person who came to mind. I've got a good friend who uh, has been following the KBO for a long time is a baseball fan, a KBO fan. uh, And we go way, way back, like all the way back to college, Husky Marching Van days. David Kim, you came to mind right away, and I thought it would be great to talk to you because I know you're such a fan of the league and of teams, and you've got such great experience with it. But when you see these games on TV and you see that people are starting to embrace them, what are some of the things that you'd like to see them pick up from what we're seeing in a league that you know so many things look familiar, but so many things are a little bit different, too?
4: I mean, I've heard, seen a lot of comments online of uh, people asking what, like Americans think of the KBO, and they just seem to think the pace is a lot faster and maybe a little higher scoring. But that could be mainly due to the, maybe the defense isn't quite as good, so there tends to be a lot more, maybe errors, I guess, and the pitching isn't quite as good. But the result is like just higher scoring. Maybe people enjoy you know, seeing higher scoring games versus defensive games, but it depends on what kind of fan you are.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because that's been such a focus in baseball is we've got to speed it up. We want more offense, and, and that's certainly one way. I saw the highlights uh, yesterday. of, Did you see that? And it's Lotte, right? Not Latte. It's Lotte. Uh,
4: yeah, Lotte. They're a company that does everything. They have department stores and candies and movie theaters and whatnot. But, yeah, that's another thing. A lot of the teams are based on company names which is a little different than here, obviously.
0: And a lot more advertisement. But you definitely, and in the highlight that I saw yesterday, it was, it was a walk-off wild pitch. I don't know if you caught it, but that pitch was very wild. So it does make things a little bit more adventurous um, when, when you see that, okay, it's not quite what you see in Major League Baseball, but it does kind of lead to some fun.
4: Yeah, I, I saw a comment one guy, there's one game that, There'll be like 10-0 leads, and the other team will come back to tie it and win it. It'll be like 11. There'll be a lot of like 11-10 games, 14 to 12, and they'll call it like a like this game went the KBO route or something. They just kind of joke about how there'll be these massive lead swings, you know, of 10 points within two innings, which is very common. But that kind of makes it kind of fun. You don't see that often in the MLB. Like the Mariners had that one in 2016 when he came back from losing. 12 down or
0: yeah I think remember? it was 12 down and, and like the sixth inning or fourth inning yeah, and yeah. Daeho Lee played a big part in that game
4: yeah exactly <laughs> so a lot of KBO games are kind of like that where yeah. they're just like massive scoring suddenly you know and due to maybe pitching and fielding quality isn't quite as high as MLB obviously you really can't compare it to the MLB just because they're the best in the world but it's still so, entertaining
0: No team is never truly out of a game is what you're saying there.
4: Exactly. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Could you give us a quick rundown of the teams and uh, just uh, where they are geographically and a little bit about what their fan base is or where they are kind of in the hierarchy of baseball there.
4: The country itself is about the size of the state of Indiana. So you, and we have 10 teams. So there's like 10 teams in a small geographical area, obviously. And, uh, there's ten teams. There's three teams in Seoul, which is the capital city. So there's a Dusan uh, Bears in Seoul with and the LG Twins who share a stadium. So mm-hmm. sometimes when they play each other, one team's the home team and one team is the away team, even though they share the same stadium. And then they'll reverse whoever's the home team the next game. And there's a third Seoul team, which is the Kiwum Heroes, which is just kind of on the outskirts of Seoul, who uh, Taylor Motter actually plays for now. So there's three Seoul teams. There's one team in Dejon called the Hanwha Eagles. And Dajon is actually sister cities of Seattle. And it's kind of a city comparable in size to Seattle, so it's kind of appropriate. Then we go a little farther south to Daegu, which has the Samsung Lions. Is one of the oldest teams in the KBO. To the west, we have Incheon with the SK Wyverns, who just uh, traded. Uh, I don't know, was it not traded, but Kwang Hyun Kim was picked up by the St. Louis Cardinals, and he's from SK Wyverns. Then we have the NC Dinos in the southeast from a city called Changwon, and where Eric Thames played for. And then further down to the southeast port city of Busan are the Lotte Giants, where uh, De just returned, I think, in 2017, and he's still there. And then the two more teams is uh, we have the Kia Tigers in the southwest in the city of Gwangju. And then the newest team is the KT Wiz in the city of Suwon, which is a suburb of Seoul. And they have, uh, I think they had one former MLB Korean player, Hwang Jae-gyun, who played for the Giants. So, yeah, that's about 10 teams packed into a very small geographical space.
0: Do fans, since it's so uh, small, do they travel quite a bit to opposing games?
4: Yeah, because you can get from one side of the country to the other in like five hours. So there's always an opposing crowd section. And obviously the Seoul teams are closer, so the, those away crowds will be a lot larger. But even like the Lotte team from Busan, will they'll take there's a train, a bullet train that takes about two hours to Seoul. So often they're they're always well representative or represented. So yeah, there's always an opposing team section. Obviously, it's so much harder to do that in America. But I mean, just imagine if you had ten teams in the state of Washington, it'd be pretty crazy to think
0: I would never get anything done if I was a fan I'd be at all of the games all of the time yeah, <laughs> coming the up members. and that builds up the fandom too I mean that you know you'd be making the signs and doing everything else if you were able to go in, into the opposing stadium that much with with numbers I would imagine that that's interesting I think that kind of probably lends itself to what we see when there are fans that's that's a lot of fun. Is there an equivalent to the Yankees? Is there a big kind of beast of the East or anything like that in the league? Oh,
4: yeah. Definitely it's Doosan Bears out of Seoul. They're one of the original teams from the KBO. Uh, They started back in 1982, and they just seem to win. They won it last year, of course. But they are definitely the uh, Yankees of the KBO.
0: Is it kind of a feeling like there is with the Yankees? Is there a love to hate them because of what they do, or is it just more of a beloved, very good team?
4: I mean, they're they're the biggest team in in Seoul, so I don't think they're quite as hated as the Yankees. They they I don't I didn't really experience that kind of hate over there for a team like we do here.
0: Hmm. Is but there a they, lovable they, they, loser yeah. team?
4: A loser team?
0: A lovable loser team. <laughs> could be could be like the Hanwha
4: Eagles from Dejun. Um They've just they've never won the championship, but they, their fan base is pretty loyal. And they've produced some really good players. Like they, Ryu Hyun Jin is from the, the Hanwha Eagles. But they've just never got to that point where they could win a championship. But the, the fan base is always super loyal to them. They don't, you know, they always go to the game, stay to the end. So that's kind of, that's a little different over there too. There's not this, they don't tend to get down too, too hard on their teams. They just keep coming to the games and
0: supporting them. Yeah, enjoy the experience. I would imagine we've got to talk about the bat flipping. Is there a misconception about what that's all about when we see the bat flipping? Is it just fun? I've heard it's not only on home runs that they do it just sometimes on hits, too. How do you interpret the bat flipping? Yeah,
4: that's kind of an interesting thing. I'm not sure how that actually started over there. I think maybe obviously, you know baseball baseball's an American thing, so maybe they they've saw some players do it in the past. I know it's not. It's taboo to do it here, but maybe they just saw it, but they didn't know how offensive it is here, but they just thought it looked really cool, and then just kind of picked up on it, not knowing you know how you know we just don't do that here, but that that cultural connection wasn't made, so over there, it's just no one gets angry about it. It's just like more of a visual thing that's mm-hmm. kind of fun. And the pitchers don't take offense to it; they just oh, There we go. There's another one, right? But it's just interesting how you know how angry they get over here. But I think yeah, it's definitely like a cultural thing. But I still can't, can't figure out exactly how that started. But I just do know that it's not, you know, seen as a dig or anything against the pitchers. Just like putting your bat down It's almost the same thing.
0: I imagine it's just kind of like a, a signature for some players. Do do players. To your knowledge, have like one guy always flips his bat this way, or you know, this guy gets creative, or is it just something that just happens?
4: Uh, that's actually I'm not too. I know it seems like almost every player seems to do it, and I knew some. There, I think Mina Kimes did an article. but mm-hmm. Have you seen that the article? I have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And she did profile some. Certain players have a certain style where they some just throw it up like ten feet down the line, but. Yeah, I'm just wondering if um, MLB will get to the point where it gets to the point where it's not, you know, a dig anymore, and they just kind of have fun with it. Do you think that would ever happen? Or
0: I do. It sounds like it's something that the fans are intrigued by, and you know, the game is it's always evolving, but the pace that it's evolving at and changing at right now, even before we went into lockdown mode and everything got thrown up in the air, I you know, in my time covering the game, I've never seen so much change in a short amount of time so I think that that I think a lot of the kind of old unwritten rules and and whatnot um, are going to fall off more and more and more as we get down the road and I think that this is something that if the fans would like to see it I think you start seeing it a little bit more in in, uh, Major League Baseball the whole let them play movement I think is kind of aiming towards something like that so we'll see it would be certainly fun to see on a more regular basis and it would be fun to not have to kind of get manufactured indignant about it oh how dare he you know they don't mean anything about it they're at ha- they're having fun it's you know nobody is disrespecting anybody uh, nine times out of ten out there so i would be all for it i think it would be a lot of fun hey who are some of the players that you like to watch and and you think that would be of interest to folks who are watching games here um i think one of the
4: big uh, for younger players is the player from the kt whiz in Suwon called beck Po Kang and he set the KVO record for rookie home runs in 2018 with 37 so he's kind of a younger player that's up and coming Um, there's one player who they think might be the next one to go to the MLB and it's um, he's from the Kiwoom Heroes who plays where Taylor Motter plays his name is Ha Sung Kim he's a shortstop And they're thinking when things get back to normal, he could be the next player to be posted to the MLB. And they think he could hit, like, 12 to 15 home runs in the majors. And then uh, one last one that seems to be pretty popular on Twitter is Sung Bum Na from the NC Dinos. And he's had five straight uh, 20 home run seasons. So I think those three players are kind of the ones to watch.
0: All right. Good to know. One last question. Do you have a favorite team?
4: Oh uh, Yeah, well, I lived in Korea two years teaching English, and I lived in Incheon, the port city, so I followed SK Wyverns. Um I often just took a bus to the game, tickets for like $7, and it never really sold out, But so it wasn't like such a crowded atmosphere, but there's always people there cheering, and it was just a nice place to go and get away, just like it is here, right, just to escape. From your daily life. So yeah, SK Wyverns for my team. And I was really happy to see the Cardinals pick up Kwang Yun Kim, but just kind of disappointed. Obviously he hasn't had a chance to play this year. So looking forward to seeing him get on the mound when things get back going.
0: Well, David, thank you so much for taking some time and, and giving us some little pointers and things to look for and a little bit more knowledge about uh, something that I think a lot of us have had uh, fun tuning in on.
4: Yeah, I'm just glad ESPN gave them a chance. I heard they initially were, were trying to, you know, give them a shortened the KBO, the short end of the stick by just saying, we just want to use you when we need you, but then, you know, we just want to, we may just drop you when MLB comes back, but I heard they made a, a new deal that was a little longer, just to give them a little respect.
0: That's great to see, and you know, maybe some people will hold on to it for a little while longer. As you said, it is a little bit different, a little bit quicker, and uh, especially once they get the fans into the stands i think visually it'll be um, even more fun to watch david thank you yeah thank you so much all right so if you can find those games they are fun and interesting to watch and for me i've just been getting a lot out of watching them and, and just trying to imagine baseball if mlb is able to get back to work how similar will the setups be when will this look like what we are seeing right now are there things that they can take from what is happening in the KBO right now that will help get them back out on the field, keep them safe, move forward, and keep things interesting for the viewers and the listeners. Uh, speaking of listeners, I hope you have been tuning in to Mariners Classics every night at 7 o'clock. have had a lot of fun, some good interactions on Twitter as people are just reacquainting themselves with different times, different classic games in Mariners history. Of course, a lot of those games are called by Dave Niehaus, uh, Had a fun, fun one comment just jumped out at me from Dave Henderson. Dave Henderson, uh, there was a lot of bluster to him, and it was always with a smile on his face. But last week was the week of firsts. We ran a lot of firsts that happened in team history, and one of them was the first game at Safeco Field. And I listened to a good amount of that, and it was just, I hope we can rerun this because it was so joyous to hear the broadcasters in their brand new home for the first time. And, and playing a home game outside for the first time, to hear the train, which you don't hear very much anymore because they built the overpass. So the train would always have to whistle when it went through the crosswalk. So you don't hear that. But to hear all of that, uh, I think it was going on a, a evening run as that was playing, it, it was really fantastic. But one line really jumped out at me, and it was pure Hindu. It just made me smile. But the line was, Uh, They were talking about the Hit It Here Cafe and they were describing it and they were talking about batting practice and somebody might get a baseball in their soup up there. And Hindu said to Rick, well, you know why they call it the Hit It Here, don't you? And Rick said, no, why? And Hindu said, because it's very hittable, (laughs) which I'm sure Hindu envisioned himself just peppering balls off of the window there, but we know it wasn't as hittable. So just little gems like that just all over the place in these broadcasts. So this past week was first Coming up this week is going to be the week of Griffey. There are all things Griffy over the next seven days. If you have a favorite Griffey game, there's a good chance you will hear it on 710 ESPN. So I invite you to tune in for those. If you're on Twitter, you know, hit me up on Twitter if you hear a line that just uh, cracks you up or if there's something that brings back a memory. I uh, enjoy hearing people's stories about being at those games. We had the one game playoff yesterday, and so many people. Remember that, you know, some were on the school bus, some were taken out of school by their parents to go watch the games, some were at work, just neat, neat stories. A lot of, uh, you know, my dad took me to this game where we camped out overnight to get tickets from Ticketmaster. So much fun with these. I really enjoy hearing the stories, so let me know if any of these games inspire anything or any memories or you hear something fun and them, um, share, please. That is going to do it for us this week. We'll do it again next week. As always, Seattle Band Days takes us out.